You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to send your questions or comments to our mailbag, you can send it to Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. That's Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and we will answer as many questions as we can. And I'm becoming a world traveler. The last two weeks, I flew in and out of New York. Had to fill out my paperwork. Um, as we mentioned last week, I had yard site for my father, so I traveled to um, to Muncie so I could go visit the grave site. Hung out with my mother a little bit. Um, even on that, an interesting thought. You know, sometimes we're not so good at thinking. We're very good at reacting, but do we think? So what happened was. Um, we had a family meal. It was we. My mother didn't want a, a lot of the, a lot of people there, so the grandchildren were not invited. So it was uh, siblings and their spouses. Very beautiful meal. We hung out, but I had to pray the evening prayers. So I, I ran out of the house. Figured it'd take me about a half an hour. Um, get to, get to the place, and I I see an old face. Not an old face. A guy that I know from here in Detroit and. I don't know what he's doing in Muncie. He says, uh, he says to me, what are you doing here? I said, you know, I'm here for Yartside. I'm from Muncie, but what are you doing here? You're a Detroiter. He says, no, I just changed jobs. I'm now working in Muncie. Oh, very nice. So we're talking for a few minutes, and he tells me there's a wedding. Somebody lives in my neighborhood. Like, you don't even pay attention nowadays when somebody has a wedding not in your city because you're not flying in. It's not convenient. You can't drive. All the quarantines. So he says, you know, there's, there's really no Detroiters there. It would be so nice if you could drop in. I said, okay. And I'm thinking, yeah, it would make him so happy. It would, it would be a mitzvah, right? What's, what's, should I go? Maybe there'd be 15 minutes left to the wedding. And I decided not to go. Why? Why? Because I was only going to be with my mother for a couple hours. As I, I arrived in Muncie around 7 um, by the next afternoon, I'm on a plane, which we'll get to soon. I'd be on a plane back to Detroit. My mother would go to work in the morning. I only have a couple hours. So I said, very nice. I should go to this person's wedding and make him feel good. But for my mother, I only have so much time to be with her. So I said, in weighing my options, I said, this is not the time to run around and dance by other people's weddings. This is the time to spend as much time as possible um, with my mother so I went back home. Now, mind you, I still got interrupted because I got a call from Detroit. And after about 15 minutes, I had to end the call. I said, I, I, we cannot continue this. I have to go inside. One of my lessons from this week's traveling, which, again, is, a, is important sometimes. We have to, to recognize we want to do a lot of good things. But we have to really balance out what's, what's proper, what's not proper. Not always so easy. And probably something we'll try to get into as we talk about the Torah portion. Um, one more story. You know, it's easier when you travel to have no stories because then that just means things went the way they were supposed to go. 
this trip, they did not go the way things were supposed to go, at least not the way I wanted them to go. Of course, it went the way it was supposed to go, but not the way I would have rather. So um, we're at breakfast, we hang around, schmooze for a few minutes with uh, with my uh, sister and brother-in-law, and uh, my wife says, you know, let's, we can leave already. We don't have to stick around. Figure, give ourselves a solid hour and a half to make sure we return the car and and uh, get from from the rental to the airport, and then have a good, you know, hour and change to get through the through the security, which anyways happens to me now. Security is very fast, not like the old days, very fast, because there's no one there. No problem. So we get to return the car, make very good time, return the rental. Um, I run to go to the bathroom. My wife is staying in the car for a minute. When I get back to the car to unload, so the guy says, you know, I'll drive you to the airport. Because if you have to take the shuttle, and this shuttle takes only to 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 a Terminal A, and from Terminal A, I didn't realize, like a 20-minute bus ride, I'll just drive you straight. Great, no problem. So I sit in the back. He he drives us. We get there. We thank him very much. Very good. Get all our bags out of the car. Taking our time walking to get to uh, security. And I... So hey, I got all, I got you know I gotta love these uh, smartphones, right? I I'm gonna I pull out my smartphone to show my boarding pass for my wife and myself. And as I reach for my phone, no phone. Phone is missing. Check the pockets. Check my my little carry-on bag. It, it, it ain't here. Run outside. Maybe the guy's still here. The car is gone. Look around the floor. Maybe fell out. It's not here. Now I'm stuck. Right, I have no. Now there may have been other ways, but offhand, I didn't know of any of them. So the guy says, "Go downstairs, get yourself a yellow cab, and and take it to the rental place, and you'll just uh, you'll look for your phone." So I I go downstairs. I can't find the yellow cab. So instead, I there is a the bus going to the rental place um, stops three blocks away. It is the silliest thing I ever saw. They actually drive right past the rental place, but they stop on what's called 94th Street. They stop three blocks away. Why can't he take you all the way down the hill? I have no idea. And that's the only stop. I'm the only guy in the bus. But no, I get off that bus. I run down that hill, and I'm not in the best of shape. I'm working on it, but uh, not the best. I get there. I The guy says, what's the matter? I said, I, I think my, fo- my phone fell out in the back of your car. I said, do you know which where it is? Because the half of them look the same. Uh, it's the one with the trunk open. I look. It doesn't really look like the same car, but I'm in such a rush. Looking, checking seats. It's not here. Maybe I fell off in the bathroom. I come back. It's not there. I say, you know, there's really two cars there. I said, could it be the other car? Oh, it could be. I run. Sure enough, it's on the back seat. Great. Got my phone. Call my wife. I'm on my way back. And I'm not letting go of this just to put it in the little holster thing. It's going to fall out again. So there's a shuttle there, no problem. Take the shuttle, it's leaving in a few minutes. We get to Terminal A. Now, I did not know how long it takes the bus from Terminal A to get to Terminal C. It actually leaves the airport and goes back in. And he waits till people come and they're mechanical. A good 20, 25 minutes. Finally, we get there, get my stuff, huff and puff. Um, we get through security, but the 45 minutes I thought that we would sit and relax in the airport. Um, by the time we got in and settled, it was time to board the plane. Why am I telling you this story? Because first of all, I like stories. But second of all, 
I told my class, I said, things happen. We don't go through life where things don't happen. And there are stresses in life, and there are things that challenge. Now, this is not the world's greatest challenge. Right? You know, the worst that could have happened was I missed the flight, figure out a way to get a new ticket. Uh, it's not the end of the world. It's inconvenient. It's not the end of the world. But what I what I, I want, I want in my class, I want you to take out of the story is that life happens, things happen. So you cannot lose your mind over things not going the way you wanted them to go. Happened to you in this case. Thank God everything worked out beautiful. Not the way I wanted, but it worked out beautiful. But if I know that God is pulling the strings, and for whatever reason God wants me running around uh, in Queens and and wasting an hour's worth of time instead of just getting straight through, I don't know why. It doesn't even matter why. The question is, what is my reaction? Of course we're all allowed to be a little nervous. Of course this stress level goes up in everybody, and I'm sure there's endorphins and things flowing. Of course that happens. That's not the point. The point is, how do I react? My wife sits there calmly. You, you, you would think that she's on vacation with uh, nothing to do. Um... But how do you react? Do you get all nervous? Do you break down? Or can you handle it? And, and belief in God is what allows a person to get through it. Why it's happening? I don't know why it's happening. Why is God doing this to me? What did I do wrong? I don't know. But we have the ability to work through it. That's what's most important. And this belief concept is really what Abraham is all about. And that's this week's Torah portion. It is interesting that the Torah portion doesn't begin at the beginning of the story with Abraham. Actually, we start at the beginning of the Torah portion. Abraham is 75. Later in the Torah portion, we get a story when he was 70. It almost seems like the Torah doesn't want to discuss the belief of Abraham in the early part of the Torah portion. It wants to get to the second level of belief. There's... Of course, there's the famous uh, Medrash when Abraham was a child. His father hid him in a cave because the because uh, Nimrod wanted to kill him. So he's basically alone. He's alone. I guess somebody serves him food, but he's alone. And it says that Abraham discovers God. He figures out. He goes outside. He sees the sun. And maybe the sun is king. Maybe the sun is God. The sun goes away. The moon comes out. Maybe the moon is God. And, and without getting into all the details of it, Abraham looks at the amazing world we live in. And Abraham says there cannot be such an amazing world with no plan, with no one planning behind it, with no one pulling all the strings. It is impossible. It's impossible. It would be easier to dump a bunch of cans of paint on a, on a, on a, on a, whatever, on a canvas and have the Mona Lisa there. You'd have a much better chance, and that's just two-dimensional, than a whole world that everything just works so perfect and everything is taken care of and everything is fed and all the animals and the bugs and the creatures and the whole cycle. That whole, that, that, the fact that that exists, there must be a planner. There must be somebody behind the scenes. So therefore, Abraham discovers God. That is Abraham's first level of belief, but not the higher level. The higher level of Abraham's belief is that he recognizes that there's a God that takes care of everything, and he puts, he puts all his trust um, in God. 
In other words, it's not just, yeah, I, I figured out there is a God, so he's telling me to do this, I have to listen. It's really way past that. It's whatever God wants for me, I, I put myself in his hands, and that's it. No worries. No worries. Um, what's the name of that magazine? Mad Magazine? You don't remember Mad Magazine, but I think that was the Alfred E. Newman. So he was always no worries for those who remember what it was. It probably doesn't exist anymore. Anyways, so I wanted to, to take this segment to talk about the concept of belief. Where every day, numerous times, do we show the concept of belief? It is when we actually answer, after every blessing, we answer, Amen. Amen. A- every blessing. Uh, God uh, created the fruit, uh, the, uh, the bread that I'm eating, uh, my blessings about uh, uh, in, the, in the morning prayers that God stands me up, the whole uh, Shemona Esrei, where we everything heal me, give me uh, sustenance, uh, listen to my cries. All day long, there's all kinds of blessings, and we answer Amen. What is Amen? What, what is this word? A very unusual word. It comes from the word Emuna. Emuna means belief. But in truth, this is actually a fascinating word. It's actually an abbreviation. The Talmud says it happens to be in my daily study of the Talmud. I happen to have just come across um, this part in the Talmud. And the word Amen represents, stands for three words. Kale. Now, again, it's an Aleph, but we don't say God's name, so we put a K sound in front of it. So it's Kale, which is God. Melech is king. Neman, the trustworthy one. So God is the trustworthy king. So every time I make a blessing about God, something that God's doing, I, I continually repeat this concept, this powerful concept that I recognize that everything is coming from God. That's my goal, which, by the way, means that I shouldn't be allowed to say amen unless I heard the blessing, which is the law, by the way, or I know what the blessing is. So if I'm standing there and I'm, my mind is occupied with other stuff, while people are making blessings, it's not so simple to answer amen because I don't, I don't even know what I'm answering amen to. Right? To say, yeah, God, yeah, you do everything. But I, I wasn't paying attention to what I said that to. So that's really a dangerous thought. So that's amen, that's kelmelch neman. So um, just to give you some ideas of how powerful this concept of amen really is. Now, is it something we do all the time? Amen, amen, yeah. My wife gives blessings to everybody, say amen. It's something we almost do by rote, but, but if we recognize the power of this amen, I think we would open our eyes even more. So first of all, the, the Medri says like this. It says it would have been worth it for the whole world to be created, all 6,000 years, for one person, one time, not say amen, by the way, to say, um, Baruch Hu Baruch Shemai. In other words, any time we hear a blessing, so the person says, Baruch Atah Hashem, this is usually in prayers, right? And after Baruch Atah Hashem, so the congregation answers, Bar- after hearing God's name, Baruch Hu, he is blessed, Baruch Shemo, and his name is blessed. So if a person would say that with the proper intention, thinking, concentrating, the whole world, 6,000 years, billions of people, everything that God does to sustain them would have all been worth it 
for one guy or lady to show up one day, one time, and say this, these words, Baruch Hashemai. Okay, great. It's beautiful. Then the, the Medrash continues and says, 1,000 of those Baruch Hashemais, you can start doing the math, um, 1,000 of them is not equal to one Amen. Whoa. So the whole world, 6,000 years, billions of people, times 1,000, is still not as powerful as one Amen. What does that power mean? This is all spiritual stuff. <clears throat> the rewards I'm going to get in the next world, um, how it affects the world in general, this, it's really hard for us to know what exactly all this means, and it's not our, our purpose. But we just want a little picture of how powerful the Amen is. So if that one was not for you, here's another story. Again, to give you a, 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 um, a, a um, not looking for the word impression, but to give you a, a feeling of the power of Amen. So the story goes like this. This story is probably about... I'm going to say 50 years old, could be 60 years old, somewhere in that range. So there was a great rabbi in the Lower East Side. We actually talked about him last week. His name was Ramosha Feinstein. He was the, 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 the world-leading rabbi when he was alive. Um, when it came to law, he was king. He dealt with all kinds of questions that in earlier generations they never ran into. Heart transplants... Um, all kinds of things on Sabbath, all kinds of modern technology that, the, that didn't exist. And he had to go ahead and show you what the Talmud, which was written, you know, 14, 1600 years earlier, what the Talmud had to say about it, and he had to prove it. So he was this amazing rabbi, and the world knocked on his door. And he much different than nowadays. Nowadays, there's great rabbis, they, they need guards. You can't get into these people. You need someone to get you in, you need to stand online for hours to get a a five-second blessing. They just don't have time. The world is knocking on their door. And when there's special questions, there's certain people who will bring in those questions and the rabbis will answer and send it out. They're just, there's too many people that are that are trying to get their attention. However, um, this Moshe Feinstein was extremely accessible. Now, later on in his, his life, it was a little harder, but I was in 11th grade and I wanted to pray with his private uh, morning chakras. He had a private chakras. He was too weak to be in his school, in his uh, yeshiva in Staten Island. Um, no, I'm sorry, in, in, uh, on the Lower East Side. Uh, but you could, you could get in. All you had to do was call the house and someone would say what day you could come, come Tuesday, come Wednesday, come Thursday, come Friday. It was in the middle of the winter. It was freezing cold. So we woke up. I was in Queens with a friend. He was the one that arranged it. We probably left 4 o'clock in the morning because we had to walk first to the train station. I had the concept of walking to a train station. Take a train, probably about an hour-long train ride, then probably another 10, 15-minute walk from the train. So we figured if we wake up at 4, leave around 4.30, we, we would be pretty good. So we got there. They said to us, you know, we apologize. Um, there's a few too many people that came. So if you don't mind, you could pray in a side room, but you can walk up and down the hallway, you can watch the rabbi pray, and you'll have a few minutes after prayers, you get a few minutes of private time. That's what we did. It was amazing. 
just to see the shine coming from this man was something that was not to be believed. Anyways, so, um, so uh, okay, so the story goes with him that uh, there was a man who needed a certain surgery, very dangerous surgery, and the doctor said, you know, it's a very painful surgery, and even if it's successful, you'll probably only live another six months, but it's a lot of pain to go through. I can't tell you if it's worth going through the, the surgery or not. So the man says, you know, I can't make this decision. I have to speak to my rabbi. You're going to go to a rabbi about this? The doctor says, I want to come. So the doctor goes with this man. They go to Rabbi Feinstein, and they, the doctor explains all the details. He sees Rabbi Feinstein asks a few uh, questions along the way. He understood clearly what was going on. And uh, Rabbi Feinstein's listening, and he's crying when he's hearing the story. And he says, okay, you know what? I, I can't make a decision like this um, just on the spot, please come back tomorrow. Okay? They both come back uh, the next day, and Rabbi Feinstein says, you should have the surgery. So the doctor says, okay, Rabbi, I mean, I saw this was so hard for you to make a decision. How did you know, how do you know what the right answer is? So i tell you the truth. It's really hard to know the right answer. But what I do know is that if he lives another six months, who knows how many times he will get to say this powerful Word, amen. Who knows how many times I get to say this word. And even if he can only say it once or a few times is worth whatever you described he has to go through. Okay? Very powerful. Um, I am probably going to do a disservice to this next story because I wanted to get it through and I have about two and a half minutes. I'm going to say the story a little faster. This is an old story. This story is many of hundreds of years old. And the story takes place with a man by the name of the Levush. The Levush was the name of his book. Um, he was studying in Italy by a certain Yitzhak He traveled to meet him so he could learn all about the Jewish calendar. And he studied, I don't know, it may have been a couple of years, he became a special student. And uh, one time, uh, a boy, a child came in, took an apple while all these rabbis are busy studying and concentrating on other stuff. And the boy said, Baruch HaTah Hashem, El Kemel Chaylam, and uh, this Levush was, was, wasn't focusing on the boy, wasn't paying attention, and he didn't answer Amin. This Rebbe got so angry at him, he, um, he told him he's excommunicated, and, uh, and when that, that means he can't, go, he can't go visit the rabbi for 30 days, he has to stay outside the house. And, and so 30 days later, he comes in, and he asks forgiveness, and he says, like, but, like what's the big deal? Like, okay. I was busy studying. I didn't notice what the child was doing. He says, let me explain to you. The story is told, and he's, so he's story within a story, of course, said there was a, it was a story was in Spain, there was a king, and he had a, 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 a close Jewish friend. And any time there were problems where the, where the Christian ministers wanted to, to make some edict against the Jews, this king's friend, the rabbi, would come in, and take care of everything. Okay, so sure enough, one time, they, uh, they tell the Jewish friend, well, the king needs you, he has to speak to you. If you don't speak to him, they make a new edict, so you got to go. He says, you know, I didn't do the afternoon prayers yet. It's this emergency, you got to go now. Okay, he goes, the king sees him, the king's happy to see him. Yeah, it's good to see you, I'm so happy you're here, it's so beautiful. Yeah, don't worry about it, I'll take care of everything, don't worry. Meanwhile, uh, you know, he, he knew he had to stick around, but he, he didn't pray yet. So what he did was he went off to the side, 
and he starts praying. Meanwhile, one of the one of the priests comes in and starts giving a a whole long set of blessings to the king. And when he finishes, everybody has to answer Amen. So everybody yells Amen. He looks around, did anybody not say Amen? And it turns out that the that the rabbi didn't say Amen because he was busy praying. And the king was furious. You ruined my Amen, you ruined my blessings. How could you do that to me? And he killed him on the spot. And the reason was, by the way, because he, a different time, he came back in a dream. I know I'm killing the story because the music is playing. But that rabbi himself came back to a student in a dream and said, one time I missed Amen, and look what's going to happen to all of us. Time flies when you're having fun. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you again to our wonderful sponsor. Listen, you know I can't do it without you. Thank you to our production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I've left some food for thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house.